Hello, and welcome to the James Sheets Podcast. This podcast features the sermons and preaching messages of James Sheets, who pastored throughout West Virginia for many years. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a five-star review and share a memory of James with us. Let's listen as Pastor James Sheets begins his message. Well, I have a passage, but I want to refer to several verses, both in the fourth chapter and in the fifth chapter. And I titled the message tonight, With Friends Like These. Uh, you've heard the old phrase, with friends like that, who needs enemies? And uh, we could probably take that phrase and, and actually use it in applying here to Job. But you recall that the, the problem that Job faced was not of his doing. Uh, Satan had gone in amongst all of the, the angels that had gone back to report their activities to God. And uh, God asked him, where he had been, and, and Satan said he'd been down on earth going to and fro, and God asked him if he had observed his servant Job and described that he was so righteous and upright in every way. And Satan said, well, he wouldn't be that way. He didn't protect him so much. But uh, Satan accused God of putting a wall around Job to the point that he never had any troubles and everything was good for him. He had uh, plenty of wealth and a fine family and all of those things. And, and so God gave Satan the privilege of taking away from Job a lot that he had just to prove that Job was indeed as righteous as God said he was. And uh, so he lost all of his possessions by various means, and he lost his family, all of his children were killed, and he only had his wife. He lost everything he owned in just a short period of time, and uh, he still would not do anything but praise God. Even his wife said, you ought to curse God and go ahead and die. He refused to curse God. So. Time goes on, and he sat for seven days with three of his so-called friends, which you'll find at the end of chapter 2. They came to give him comfort and advice, and they were devastated in what they saw in Job at the conclusion of chapter 2. And finally, they began to speak to Job at the beginning of chapter 4. He had three friends, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. At least they purported themselves to be friends. They sat for seven days and said nothing, and then finally Eliphaz begins to speak in the fourth chapter. And I've preached three or four sermons from those first three chapters, and so I want to go on to chapter 4. Eliphaz just could not stay silent any longer, and so he begins to talk to Job, uh, and begins by asking the question that 
If we say, that is, decide to commune with you, to communicate with you, will you be grieved? Could we, could we say something? Could we talk to you about your situation without you taking offense? And he said, but who can withhold himself from speaking? In other words, I must talk. I must say something. Job, I'm your friend. I've got something to say. There's a lot to be said about friendship or the lack of friendship in this particular incident. Someone has given a definition of a friend as, as a person who knows all about you and likes you just the same. And I think there's a lot of truth to that. I gave that definition one time to a, uh, a counselor in a meeting and that I was attending in Annapolis, Maryland. And this lady, who, who was the counselor, uh, uh, said that she didn't think that she agreed with that definition. But I think I do. A friend is one who really knows the good and the bad and will stick with you anyway, even though it is bad, even though they don't like the way you do things. That's a friend who will take you as you are with your good and with your bad and, and stay with you. But Eliphaz is not that friend. He is looking at Job and saying, Job, there's something wrong with you, and I don't like it. Now, Job had not asked for any advice. And I think one of the things that I have learned over the years, if you're not asked for advice, you better not give it. Because if you start offering advice without it being solicited, the person to whom you're giving it's going to be offended. It's going to take exception to it. It's, it's difficult on a one-to-one to say, now look, I want to give you some advice, particularly to adults and even to teenagers. They will take a, a exception to it. Uh, if someone says, what do you think? Or what would you say to me? Then you've got a better opportunity to, to comment. But if a person doesn't want you to comment upon their problem, it's probably best just to be there and not offer any, any particularly criticism. We certainly can offer compassion, we can offer concern, but I think we probably ought not offer advice unless it's asked for. But Eliphaz offers unsolicited criticism, and he almost gets into the term of saying, I told you so, that if you uh, did so and so, you were going to be thus and so. When we hear that all the time, how many of us have had somebody come up and say, now I told you if you didn't behave yourself, that was going to happen. That didn't do me a bit of good. And somebody told me that. You know, yes, it had already happened. Uh, and, and I would take exception to that when somebody thought that they could uh, second-guessed me and, and figured they knew more than I knew about my particular situation. And start saying, I told you so, or you should have not done that, or you should have done that. Well, uh, I think a friend does not do that unless he is solicited to do it, and he does it in an attitude of, of real deep concern and compassion and not one of judgment. And, and we don't find this man being that type of individual. Now look what he says in verses 3 through 5. 
I want to, I want to, uh, well, let me read from the King James. I'm going to go to another translation here in a minute. He says, verse 3, Behold, thou hast instructed many, thou hast strengthened the weak hands. He first of all comments upon what Job has actually done for other people. He has been a person who has given instruction to lots of people. He has actually supported those who are weak. He's done lots of good. Verse 4, thy words have upholded him that was fallen. You have encouraged, you have supported people that have fallen. Thou hast strengthened the feeble knees. So, and we know that Job is this type of individual. So Eliphaz, first of all, comments to the good, this is to his credit, that he certainly has been one who has upheld uh, people, who has strengthened them, who has not been one who has criticized. Everybody turned to Job for help. There are a few people like that. If you're in trouble, you know where to turn. That person will support you. We ought to all be like that, but we're not. And Job had been that type of individual, and his friend says, I know you've been that way. And then verse 5, he turns the tables on Job and starts criticizing. But now it is come upon thee. All the trouble that other people have had and you have supported them is now upon you. And you fainted. It touched thee and now you're troubled. In other words, Job... I don't know what it is, but there's something wrong in your life and you'd better get it straightened out. Anybody ever tell you that? Your father probably can tell you that or your mother and get by with it. But we shouldn't be telling each other that. You better get it straightened out in the terms that he's using here. All he did was offer criticism. What? Eliphaz is doing is judging Job guilty. Job, you have sinned and this is God's punishment. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. This is what's happened. Judging. Now they don't know what he did, but they've already determined that he's guilty. This is one of the downfalls of a lot of people who will judge a person on circumstances. Just because they appear to have been in the wrong place at the wrong time, look like they have done something, they are judged guilty. John, Jesus talking in 7, John 7, 24, judge not according to appearance. Just because it looks that way doesn't make it so. And we're always prone to jump to conclusions. If we see somebody come out of a tavern, we automatically judge that they have been drinking. Why should we do that? Did we smell the alcohol in his breath? Is there not a possibility that he was in there for some other reason? Just because we see somebody come in late at night, we sometimes automatically assume that they've been out carousing around. 
We never considered the fact, maybe, that they had an automobile accident, or the car broke down, or they actually were out visiting somebody who was sick or had taken somebody to the hospital in the middle of the night. Those thoughts don't seem to enter people's minds. It's all the bad things that they must have been up to. This is the way Eliphaz approached Job. Romans 14, 13 says, let, not therefore, uh, let us not, therefore, judge one another anymore, but judge this, rather that a man not put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. I think that we ought to take the attitude in the church that until a person is proven to have been guilty of a sin that we must assume that he did not commit it. And then even if he is we are convinced that he did commit the sin. It's not our job to pass judgment. God is the judge, not the church, not individuals, but God is the judge. Here is a man who violates the first principle of being a friend, that is, he passes judgment when it is not his job to do so. Even if the man did commit a sin, not Eliphaz's job to point it out to him or to judge him. Remember the story of the woman who had been brought to Jesus who had been caught in the very act of adultery? It's always interesting to me that they brought the woman and not the man. He got off scot free. They accused her and Jesus didn't respond to them, but wrote something in the sand, and when he got up and he said, then those of you who are without sin, you cast the first stone, because that was the way of execution of adulterers. And uh, with the woman cowing there on the ground with her head covered, waiting for the stones to come, and none came, and finally Jesus said to her, where are your condemners? She looked around, and they were all gone. It is not possible for a person to condemn another except he condemn himself because we're all guilty of something somewhere along the line. But Eliphaz didn't see it that way. Job, you're guilty. Now, why don't you go to verse 12. A very interesting verse here in chapter 4. I'm going to turn to the Living Bible to read it. He is describing how he knows that Job's wrong and that God has given him a message. Now, now follow there in your King James and, and listen to it out of the Living Bible. This truth was given me in secret, as though whispered in my ear. God spoke to me very softly and told me something. Job, God gave me a message. He said, it came... In a nighttime vision, as others slept, I, everybody else was asleep, and God whispered something to me, Job. God whispered something to me. Suddenly, I'm in verse uh, 14, suddenly fear gripped me. 
I trembled and shook with terror. As a spirit passed before my face, my hair stood up on end. I felt the spirit's presence, but couldn't see it standing there. And then out of the dreadful silence came this voice. Is mere man more just than God, more pure than his creator? Oh, he's got a revelation. God gave him a message to take to Job. Now he's going to deliver it. He had a secret revelation. God selected him to be the one who carries to Job the fact that, Job, you've sinned. God's going to punish you. How did he know it was God? Maybe it was the devil. You see, the devil is a great deceiver. Sometimes when people say, God gave me a message, it's time for us to say, uh, how do you know it was God? Maybe the devil was talking to you. And the devil can put within us certain messages, certain thoughts. The great deceiver is at work. God spoke to me. You know, we hear those words in the newspaper every once in a while when some person accused of a severe beating or a murder says, God told me to do it. You read those stories? Did God tell them to do that? The devil puts himself in the church and talks to people and they think it's God talking. And they get the Bible all twisted. They're confused. As a result, they destroy more than they ever build. It's strange that Satan uses Christian people to destroy God's word, but he does. When we allow him and let him lead us astray and say, I have a message directly from God for you, Job, you've sinned. And it's my job to tell you you have. And God didn't do that at all. It was Satan who did. Job claims that he is righteous. And God claims that Job is righteous. Therefore, the message could not have come from God because it's contradictory to what God has already claimed. When somebody starts saying that they have a direct revelation from God, compare that revelation to what the Scripture has to say to know whether or not it truly is from God. Now, go on to verse 18. Let me read from the Living Bible again, but you follow that. If God cannot 
trust his own messengers, for even angels make mistakes. Ooh, oh, oh, listen to that. Behold, he put no trust in his servants, and his angels he charges with folly. Did God make an angel that makes mistakes? Does he charge his angels with folly? Yes, I can think of a few that he did, and Satan was the leader of the group. Who do you think's talking here? Is this Eliphaz or is this Satan himself? You see, Satan was accused by God in heaven. Satan did make a mistake. And God did charge Satan and those who followed him. That's exactly true. But what is Satan doing but putting in the mind of Eliphaz, look, even angels make mistakes. They sin. Therefore, you must sin because you're not greater than the angels. God, he says in verse 19, how much less in them that dwell in houses of clay, whose foundation is in the dust, which are crushed before the moth. Let me read it out of the Living Bible. Verse, uh, let, me, let me read verse 18 and following. If God cannot trust his own messengers, how much less men made of dust, who are crushed to death as easily as moths? They are alive in the morning, but by evening they're dead, gone forever with hardly a thought from anyone. Their candle of light is snuffed out. They die and no one cares. Well, that's true of moths, possibly. But he's saying, look, God does not trust his own angels. He's saying, therefore, do you think that God's going to trust you? But listen, the opposite is true. God entrusted man with the gospel and gave to the church a body of mortal people, to us, the charge to spread the gospel. He entrusted it to us. Which is very opposite of what Eliphaz is saying. But, now I, I, I want you to see this for a reason besides in the thing with Job. And the reason is this. We must be careful that we don't take a little passage of Scripture and take it all out by itself and say this is the gospel. If we do that, we're going to say God doesn't trust his angels and God doesn't trust man. Until we understand who's talking. This isn't God talking. This is not even Eliphaz talking. This is Satan talking. And Satan is saying, God doesn't trust anybody. Well, Satan's bitter. Because God did cast him out of heaven. God has condemned him to an eternity of 
hell fire. Fire and brimstone in the second death. That's where he's going. And he's now Satan is trying to say, Job, you say you're righteous. God doesn't trust you either. He's punished you because of the sin you've committed. All right. Let's, uh, let's look at one other point. Verse, or chapter 5, verse 8 and 9. Eliphaz does say some good things. In verse 8 of chapter 5, he says, I would seek, I would advise you. This is what he's saying. I would seek unto God if I were you. I'd pray to God and ask God to forgive me of my sins if I were you. This is a self-righteous person talking. You're not me, Eliphaz, Job certainly would say. If I were you, I would seek God, and to God I would commit my cause. I'd plead my case to God. God, forgive me of my sins. And Job said, I don't know anything to ask forgiveness for. Eliphaz is saying, you're lying. You've done something wrong. You better, you better uh, plead for God's mercy. Verse 9, God which doeth great things and unsearchable things, marvelous things without number. I think we can say back to Eliphaz, Eliphaz, you better take your own advice. You better lay your life before God. It's good advice that we certainly all ought to seek God and commit ourselves to him. That certainly is nothing wrong with that advice, except the way Eliphaz does it, when he sets himself up as being more righteous than Job. And therein he falls. And this is the pit that we oftentimes get in when we are talking to somebody else who has done something wrong, we set ourselves up in judgment and say, listen, if I were you, I should go to God and repent of that. Meaning, I haven't done that. You see, we, we condemn people for alcoholism. Say, boy, that's bad. For drugs, that's terrible. For adultery, that's awful. And we can go on and on with the things. And why do we condemn those who have done those things? Because, you see, I haven't done any of those things. And therefore, if I were you, I'd sure take that to God. Meaning, I'm pretty good myself. I don't need to make that trip. You see the relationship? All at the same time, my sins are as guilty before God as those sins that I have just referred to. There is no way that we can start pointing fingers and say, you're guilty, without having some fingers point back at us and say, we're triple guilty. We don't think of those. So the message that I think we can get out of this passage is, don't be like the so-called friend who thinks that he's better 
and doesn't really offer any support or help. All he offers is condemnation. And that's no friend at all. I already know I'm guilty. You don't have to tell me that. Anybody can come up with that. What a person needs when he's guilty is somebody to love him, support him, encourage him. The church is for people who have committed these things. If there is someone in our midst at any service who is not guilty, he don't belong here. This is a place for sinners. We need to be sure that we always open the church to sinners. Right? spoke with my good friend Conrad Lowe, who was pastor of the North Parkersburg Baptist Church back a couple of weeks ago at the State Convention, State Baptist Convention. He had, uh, he had left the North Parkersburg Church a few years ago and had gone over into Ohio. He was only over there a short while and he was back at North Parkersburg. I knew that, that he hadn't been at the other church in Ohio, but just a short period of time, a few months. I knew that the North Parksburg Baptist Church went back after him. They needed him. But I couldn't understand why he agreed to leave that church over in Ohio. So I asked him. And he said, the reason I left was that they did not agree with me as to the people that I ought to invite to church. They wanted me to invite the elite, the wealthy, the professional. They weren't interested in the center. I couldn't do that. The church is for that person, regardless of his economic status. But there are churches who would just prefer that that bedraggled, ragged person just belong down the room. There are two people in that North Parkford Baptist Church, a church that has 1,400 in attendance on Sunday morning, Two people that I know by sight, I don't know them personally. But I'm always in admiration of that church because they are the two they are two bones. One, the rag lady. Or the bag lady they call them on the street. The other, an unshaven, unkept little bum. And they were both at the church the other day in this beautiful sanctuary, a part of that congregation, accepted and received into a church that has millions of dollars tied up in their buildings, has eight ministers, and serves many, many, many missionaries around the world from that one church. And they haven't forgotten the sinner. Will be dragged, ugly, unkept, unwanted, undesirable of the community are right there in their midst. That speaks of the kind of friends that we ought to have for each other. Always. To reach out to those that need us, whether they're in our family, in our community, or whether they're the dregs of society. We're all God's children. All of them have sinned. Not one of us can take the attitude of evil bad and say, if I were you, 
Thank you for listening to today's message. If you like what you hear, hit the subscribe button. You'll receive automatic notifications and downloads when a new message is added to the podcast. Also, please leave a five-star review and take the opportunity to share stories, memories, and appreciation for James Sheets and how God used him to impact your life. If you'd like to know why and how this podcast got started, check out our first episode. Lastly, if you want to donate to help offset the cost of operating this podcast, you'll find a link to our PayPal account in the podcast description and email us at james.sheets.podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and remember to trust in God for today and for all of your tomorrows.